Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to podcast number eight. This is a bonus podcast that I'm actually going to release at the same time as podcast number seven. So if you haven't listened to podcast seven, please tune into that. That's actually the first part of our mentor forum with uh, Mart Green with Mardell. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you back. Um, this section right here that I'm going to uh, kind of release to you guys through the podcast is our question and answer time with Mart. And uh, what I really loved about it was he was very open and transparent in his conversation with us of kind of the struggles that they went through with when the family had to kind of decide with what to do, what they believed in, or if they just kind of looked the other way. And then uh, he talks a little bit about um, kind of some of the things that God dealt with him on in, in terms of how God looks at ROI and uh, his story about uh, getting Bibles translated for uh, languages across the country is probably one of the coolest things I've ever heard. So with that, guys, welcome and check out part two from Mark Green. All right, I think I'll open this for questions yeah, and stuff. I so mean, that way you'll get what you wanted today. So I gave you what I wanted you to have. So I know it, it was great. We have, I mean, we have about thirty minutes. Hey, I've been uh, left here. I kind of followed the the uh, lawsuit and everything. Can you kind of let me know what's happened with that? Yeah, um, I assume most of you may know what he's talking about. Uh, a few years back, uh, we were approached by a law firm when the Obamacare first came out, the Affordable Care Act, that in that act, we were going to be asked to pay for four drugs that we did believe took life, because we believe that life begins at conception. These four drugs would actually take life, and so we didn't know that the, the you know, when the, the Affordable Care Act came out, it was a thousand pages long, nobody had read through it, but these lawyers had read through it. They came to our family and said, did you know these are in there? <clears throat> we said no, and they said, well, can we, you, can will you allow us to Sue the government. Now, it is our government. This is where we succeeded. We've succeeded at the U.S. government. We are proud of our country. We are proud of the freedoms. We are proud of those things. But we believe in religious freedom, too. So all of a sudden, you have a conflict. Religious freedom and your country have come together. We never imagined in a, all of our lifetime we'd ever sue our own government. I mean, nobody does. Why, why would you want to do that? We, we love our government. We love our, our country. And so, but anyway, we felt we couldn't on these four. And of course, you know, that was before the election, actually, four years ago. Um, and so we thought, well, maybe get a different president. This will be different. And we're in Oklahoma, so surely we'll win in Oklahoma, a very conservative state. You know, and that didn't happen. You know, we got a, we, the presidential didn't change, so the Obamacare was going to stay very uh, strong. We went to Oklahoma. We lost, actually, there. So then we go to Denver, which is our next circuit court. We lost. So it's almost Christmas time. And um, the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to hear your case and stuff. So it wasn't looking too pretty, you know. So, uh, and before we did that, my dad uh, wanted to call everybody together in the family because we have Gen 3s. I mean, our, our Gen 3s are 20-somethings, and we have I'm teenagers, and 
Not everybody in your family always agrees all the time, 100% on everything you think. You see what I'm saying? But we want to know where the family stood because we knew that, because we hoped it wouldn't be a big deal. We had no idea to go to the Supreme Court. But we also want to know, hey, as a family, we're getting to make a decision. So there's rarely, I mean, 1985, when we thought the business was going under, my dad called the family together. In 2005 or whatever year it was, he called all the family together to say, uh, kind of want to know how you guys feel about this. And my dad used wisdom because my dad is the elephant in the room. I mean, he's... He can knock stuff off and not even knowing he's knocking it off. You know what I'm saying? And so if he speaks, it's over. All right? So luckily he did not speak. He spoke last, which was perfect. You know? So Gen 3 got to speak. And so some mom said, yeah, how about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? They went in the fire and God delivered them. You know? And yeah, yeah, let's do it. You know? Another one raised his hand. Um, didn't Mark make a movie about five guys who went to Ecuador and all got speared to death and they died? You know? Yeah, sometimes the story ends a little different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes the five guys die and leave five widows and nine children without a father to be raised and stuff like that. So we couldn't guarantee the outcome. We had no idea. Our countries, we, we knew it would probably be a 5-4. It could have been 5-4 in favor. It could have been, when you get to 5-4, that's close. It can go either way. And stuff and so um, but in the end our family all agreed that this is we really only had one decision to make and that is do we believe that life begins at conception and if we did we really had no other choices to make because we're not going to take life and so the choices became easy that people said man was that hard and all that kind of stuff I think the whole process of getting there we you know, it was a little concerned for a little bit but after that we said God this is in your hands you know and you we may lose we, we don't know we had no guarantee that we'd win this case uh, but we did and so, and we represented lots of other people for whatever reason our case was taken along with another uh, family up in Pennsylvania. And so it was two of us that, for whatever reason, our cases. Was that Chick-fil-A? No, no, it was, uh, uh, I just lost their name. They're, uh, they do uh, wood cabinet building and stuff like that. So uh, I should know their name. But anyway, so the two of us, they lost. We actually went back to Denver because only two judges, and we asked if all the judges would listen to it, and we won at Denver. So that's why it became a conflict to go Supreme Court. So where we had lost, because only two judges looked at it, because sometimes they do that, we went back, which is very unusual for them to look at it again, but they did. So, I mean, there was those moments of, wow, 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 you know, stuff like that. So, um, so far, we, we've won that case. Now, there's still cases out there, the, the sisters, the little sisters of the poor. Um, there's a deal we have to sign a sheet of paper, which we were willing to do. We give it back to an insurance company, and they have to take care of that. The little sisters of the poor did not even want to do that, and I respect them for that, okay? They didn't even want to do that, so that's why you hear about the little sisters of the poor. If I'm the government, man, that's the last place I'd be one to sue is the Little Sisters of the Poor. But anyway, um, even their name tells you these people are doing something here. So like that. So uh, now I don't know what's going to happen because we lost a Supreme Court judge that would have typically have voted. So it may come 4-4, go back. So I don't, I don't know. But right now, again, we're, in, we're an independently owned business, again, in the government's mind. Again, because it's just our family that owns it. You know, most companies by this size are publicly owned, private equity, all those kind of things. We're very unique in our size and all that stuff. One of the most affirming moments probably was when we were at the Supreme Court, we got to go. A couple things happened at the Supreme Court. Uh, one was uh, humbling for sure. We go there, it's snowing, it's cold. Uh, we have eight family, we have 10 family members that are of Gen 1 and Gen 2. I have a cousin and his wife we took in a race. So I've got a brother, a sister, and a cousin. All have spouses. And so we're all there. And uh, so we got five tickets, but there's 10 of us. Okay, so who's going, who's not going? It's not fun. I mean, you say, well, you guys were here in 1970, mom, dad, the three kids, but, you know, we don't feel good about going and not leaving our spouses out and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't always going to do, you know. Now, there's a line that you can get in to get extra tickets. Now, this case was very controversial, so people were in line. They actually slept in tents 
to get tickets to be in the Supreme Court in the snow. That's what Gen 3 and 4 are for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we can take that. But what did happen is we go in that day, and we're going up, and uh, there's these young people, Gen 3s and 4s, somebody else's Gen, not our Gen 3 and 4, that had slept all the time and said, here, we, we, we did this for you. These tickets are for you. So they gave us their five tickets, and they walked off in the sunset, never saw them again, some ministry there, and all that kind of stuff. So it was quite a humbling moment to realize somebody, because you're a giver, you like giving. It's, sometimes we're not good receivers when we're givers, though it's more blessed to give than receive, so they were honored for their gift. So they gave that, so we all got to go in there. So that was quite a powerful moment. And then we get in there, and I mean, it's pretty heated. And you got your guy, he's here, and then there's nine of them, they're up on their stage, and they're up, they're elevated, so it's a pretty ominous situation, and they're firing questions at you. You got 45 minutes, but he says, after 30 seconds, uh, my speech will be done. They're going to they're gonna hit me with questions. And uh, sure enough, that's what happened, and of course, those who, who don't like his position are going to ask the most questions, right? Those who are more on the liberal bent, that didn't feel the same that we did, ask all the questions, because they're trying to disprove, you know, the point being made there. But uh, so many are. Uh, who asked lots of aggressive questions and obviously voted against us in what we believed in. She did make a statement. She says, well, I'll tell you what, these people, you sure pick good clients. So we're saying, and she studied our family. She knew everything about our family, the other family. I mean, they spent months studying this. They've got, they got a whole team of people studying. And so they realized, we didn't do this for money. People thought, well, you do this as money. No, we didn't do this for money. It's costing us money. You do it because you hate women. We don't hate women. Most of our customers are women. Most of our employees are women. You know, my mom started this business, you know. And so... Uh, <clears throat> But anyway, so it was at least affirming that she says, oh, you're doing this because you live your faith out. You know, and that's what I mean when I say this book is alive. My passion, I end all my emails with this book is alive. What does the faith look like lived out? And so for whatever reason, we were chosen to do that. Someday you're going to be chosen to stand up. You all have made decisions. Now, hope, now hope, and that, I hope it's not the Supreme Court that you have to do that. But it doesn't matter. It's not how big the st stage is. It's what do you do when you get squeezed? You know, we all get squeezed. We all can well, cheat. Guys, so, I've heard that, you know, you guys said that we lose, we're going to shut down Hobby Lobby, and I thought that was a huge deal to, that I read. And I you know, just honor you guys for standing up for your faith and believing what you did for the country, really. Yeah. Thank you for your prayers. I, 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 went to, I went to India. No, I, I was in Singapore, and a guy from India was sitting right next to me. And he says, uh, how's the case? He asked the same question you did. And I said, oh, you know, that was before it was heard and all that stuff. He goes, well, how's Diana? How's Brent? How's Tyler? How's Scott? He knew all my kids' names. I'm going, whoa, 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 just a second here. Who are I? I don't, I've never met you before. You're from India. I'm in Singapore. He goes, oh, oh, the most powerful force on earth is the U.S. government. So whatever you do happens, affects us. So that's why we're praying for you. So I realized we were probably the most prayed for family for a while there. And so that was quite affirming. So thank you for those who prayed and supported us in that way. It meant a lot to us. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so when you look back on your career, was there a, a decade, be it your 20s, 30s, 40s, or whatever, where you saw your own personal skills and influence in your career catapult faster than other decades? Yeah. How old would I have been in 1998? So 61, 37, or 30s, I guess, for me. Mm -hmm. um, Mardell, which is what I, was my paying job for 34 years until last year, um, we sell Bibles, and so and we've always tithed our profits. Now, we personally tithe to our local church. We feel like that's the responsibility. The local membership ties to the local pastor, and that church goes. It grows. As a business, we felt like we would give to parachurch ministries and different things. And so uh, for Mardell, uh, not in the beginning, but after a while, we started donating to first edition Bibles, people's printing the Bible. So Wycliffe Bible Translators, maybe you may have heard of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Mm -hmm. 
There's 6,000 languages on planet Earth. 2,000 have no scripture. 2,000, somebody's translating. 2,000 have adequate scripture. So it was hard for Mardell to sponsor a translator because these translations can take 7, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, it's hard for my employees to get excited about something like that. Mm -hmm. But I found out he's got to come back home and raise the money for the printing of the Bible. I said, oh, 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 can we do that? I mean, the fruit's about to fall off the tree. You spent 20 years of your life translating the Bible, and you're going to let me pay for the printing, the first edition printing of that Bible? I said, that's kind of cool because we sell Bibles. So anyway, they invited me to Guatemala in 1998 because they said, you've paid for several of these translations. You've got to come see people receive God's word for the first time. So I went down there, Eastern Hoggletech people, and I don't know anything about this thing, right? I just got in this last minute, right? I mean, I'm paying for the translation, and so they give me a sheet of paper. I'm actually on the plane flying and learning about the Eastern Hoggletech people. Send me a sheet of paper. 30,000 people speak Eastern Hoggletech. I thought, whoa, man, I didn't think about only 30,000 people speaking the language. 8,000 can read. 1,000 believers, 400 believers can read. And I'm a business guy, so, I mean, the first thing that went across my mind was ROI. What kind of return on investment is this? I just spent twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars and four hundred people can read the thing. <laughs> Sorry. And then I go down and I go, this translation started in nineteen fifty-eight. Now this is nineteen ninety-eight. That's forty years. I'm born in sixty-one. Same couple, yep, same couple went down in nineteen fifty-eight with four small kids and raised them all down there and just finished his translation. And I'm going, wow, I can make more money, but I can't make more time. What kind of return on investment is that? You know, four years of your life. So anyway, get down there. Bizarre thing was, I mean, eight hours on this bus. I mean, you feel like you've been to the end of the earth. Some of you have been on missions trips, and it, yeah, I loved it. I mean, you just felt like, okay, there's no place else. I mean, we're in the sticks of nowhere. How do these people even live out here? And there's another bus there, and it's all the people who had been sponsoring them from 1958 on. So they sent their buddies out in their late 20s, and now they're in their late 60s. Right? They've been sending $50 checks for 40 Years. Wow. And I meet them all, and they're all from Oklahoma City. And I'm like, this is bizarre. I'm at the end of the earth, and all my neighbors are down here. Yeah. You know? Don't you know Dennis and Gene Stratmeyer from Oklahoma City? I said, I have no idea where they're from. This paper just said USA. So it was kind of fun for me to meet my neighbors down in Guatemala. Mm. So I meet Dennis and Gene. I mean, I never met them. I've never met anybody on the bus. But I met Dennis and Gene, and we're in front of a concrete slab with a chimney. And I'm going, Gene, what are we looking at here? She says, oh, this is our house. She said, in the early 70s, the gorillas came and burnt our house down when we were furlough because when you educated people, the gorillas can't take advantage of them, right? Because they had no written alphabet. I mean, they had to write an alphabet and do all this stuff. But all of a sudden, you can't change a nickel for a dime, you see, when you're educated. You don't do that, you see. So when you're educating, the gorillas don't like that, so they burnt their house down when they're in furlough. And I'm like, wow, and you kept coming down here. And then so, so that's why it took so long. They had to go back and forth from Oklahoma City. She says, oh, yeah, of course, I guess because I was a, re a donor. She says, oh, yeah, one time they came to kill us and we were here. But she says, I hid in that 55-gallon drum right over there. She says, but I had my Hebrew and my Greek with me. And I'm like, ah, I mean, I, I, I'm already impressed enough. You don't have to be, you know, in a flashlight with Hebrew and Greek and a 55-gallon drum, you know, trying to get that word right, you know, and stuff. So, um, so anyway, that was the emotion. And then the town, the whole town, I mean, they're all, you know, with balloons, all the kids are blowing balloons up. It's a big deal. This is a big day in Eastern Hockletech, in Concepcion, the name of the city. So we go, and they actually sell the Bibles for a quarter or whatever is culturally relevant, you know. And, but to the translators, they give the Bible. Now, there's two that are from Oklahoma City. I told you about Dennis and Gene, but there were four Eastern Hockletechs that translate the Bible. Obviously, they know their heart language. They didn't know Hebrew, Greek. They didn't understand how to do those things, so it's a partnership that goes on. So these guys are getting the Bible for free, too. When Gaspar went forward, he did something I'd never seen before. Now, Mardell, we have like 1,600 different Bibles, right? This comes in burgundy. It comes in black. 
It comes in large print. It comes in compact. It comes in children. It comes in study. It comes in, if you don't know what you want, we're, gonna, we're in trouble because it's going to be a long day trying to help you find that Bible. But if you know a few things like what translation you want or who's it for or, you know, that kind of stuff. But Gaspar, he, his only choice was a black one. And he got it. He did something I'd never seen before because I've helped people find that one Bible. He wept. Tears going down both sides of his face. And he starts, he starts, he gets his handkerchief out to pull those off, you know. And I, at that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit, and this is a defining moment in my life, so I don't know if it's exactly answering your question, but I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me, why don't you go tell Gaspar he's not a good ROI? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, man, let him go do that, <laughs> you know. And so I was really impacted that even if it's just for 400 people, God's word, he would speak their heart language. Jesus would not expect you to, he would not speak to any of you in Spanish. That may be your first language. I'm assuming most of your first language is English. I don't know a second language. But even if I did know a second language, I wouldn't understand the intimacy that God wants for me. So I believe that Jesus would speak to you in the same language that you would propose or be proposed to. That's the language you would speak. But we have lots of people who don't have. So I came very passionate and driven to make sure that happens. And so that's a defining moment for me. So I've said I'm going to put my influence toward this and doing that. That was February 7th, 1988. One other thing happened. February the 9th, 8th, 1998, 2 o'clock in the morning. We've been up in Concepcion. We go down, back down to Todos Santos because there's no hotels in Concepcion. Little bitty hotels. The women take the hotel, and it's full, and it was $2. So they took us to the $1 hotel, okay? Well, a dollar, I'm not even going to check the room. You know, I said, I shouldn't do that. I'm a merchant. Next time I'm negotiating, it wasn't worth a dollar. Now, I didn't mind staying in the hotel. That didn't bother me. It was I paid too much for it. That, you know, when you're merchants, and you're anointed to be a merchant, you don't pay too much for stuff, right? And so, but I did that night. And so uh, it was a barn, and she made the bed as I walked in, and uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, the drunks started singing, and then, uh, and then the cats were running over a tin roof. And I mean, you just, you're not sleeping. And just the emotion of the day, again, that conviction that I just was concerned about spending the money for your Bible that you wept over. And so at 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't go anywhere if I have books. K. Arthur had a book, and I read, Being in God's Word and Knowing It for Yourself is the Key. Being God's word, knowing yourself the key. I'm a fifth generation Christian on my mom's, third on my dad's side. I don't miss church when the doors are open. I had maybe 15 Christian bookstores at that time. I paid for the printing of that Bible that man wept over. I have 50 Bibles plus in my home. And yet I'll read God's word on kind of a consistent basis. So I made a vow to the Lord, February the 8th, 1998, at 2 o'clock in the morning in Guatemala, that I get up first thing and read God's word for the rest of my life. And I don't do it out of obligation. I didn't, we're not gonna eat, I didn't eat this meal out of obligation today. You know, I love doing it and all that stuff, but it totally changed my world. So on February the 7th, 1988, I was convicted about access. I want everybody access. February the 8th, I was convicted about what I call absorption. I'm not happy with Bible engagement anymore. I want Bible absorption. I want God's Word to be so absorbed in you that when you get squeezed, that's what comes back out, is God's Word. Well, I'm answering long. I'll try to answer shorter, guys. Sorry. Thank you. That's a pretty good answer, bro. <laughs> That's long. Okay. What do you see is the biggest challenge of running a faith-based business in today's uh, political climate, business climate, and what are you guys doing to ensure that you're able to continue doing that? Yeah, unfortunately, some of the legal challenges, I guess. I mean, maybe that's front and center. We just did it at the Supreme Court, which we never thought would happen. You know, there's enough challenges having the best price and, you know, all that stuff and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I think our country is in some defining moments, you know, on are we going to still get religious liberties and all those kind of things. And so very um, 
trying times. I don't know. We're still trying to live our faith out again. We went to the Supreme Court and we, we stood up. We allowed our name. We could have said, no, nah, let somebody else do that because we lost customers over it. Okay, There was a, a deal we t took. In this country, about 10% of the people think we're absolute zeros Okay, during that time. It may still feel that way. 10% thought we were heroes. And 40% went with the 10 but didn't, you know, life goes on 40% with us. Because we were pretty divided, about 50-50 on this kind of thing and stuff. So we had all kind of protest. Anytime we opened a new store, they would come out and they'd wear condoms and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, we're arts and crafts. We're just trying to be a family-friendly place to come shop, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, Did you take bows out to them to put on the condoms? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I think one thing I love is when I was, when I was you know, watching the whole case and all that is that... Um, you know, I people don't realize too. Like, I mean, some of those, some of the people that were accusing you guys of, you know, being cruel to your your your, your uh, employees about, you know, denying, you know, this these drugs. You know, they don't realize what else is included in that. But also in the sense of like how much you paid them versus other companies. You guys are very generous, very generous. And and, and it's uh, when I was reading, it, I was like. Man, you know you, that that stops a lot of people's arguments right there. They really do care about their employees, yeah. and they they give above and beyond. So I think that's a testimony to you guys as well. Yeah, I'm sure you ran into that. Yeah, so that's faith and long obedience in the same direction. You never know when your number's going to be called. We had no idea that that, that that would come in. We raised our minimum wage to fifteen dollars. We didn't do it thinking, oh, we're going to have this someday. We just did it because we felt that was the right thing to do, and that's why when she said. Why are you sure of the good clients? Let's all be good clients so that someday when you get investigated and the Supreme Court judges all tear your businesses apart, they're going to say, wow, you sure pick good clients. These guys live their faith out. You know, and that's what we all want to do. We all can do. And we make mistakes, so please don't understand. We've made mistakes. we got chinks in our armor, too, and stuff like that. But we have tried, uh, and we challenge each other, and it's a challenge for Gen 3. You know, how do we do that and stuff like that? So uh, so that would be another challenge is how do you, how do, you do this without an entitlement? And... Uh, because, you know, like I say, our kids didn't see the sacrifice, and it's tough. You know, a lot of companies lose it in Gen 3, Gen 4. Somebody talked about being Gen 3. That's you, I'm sorry. That's yeah, me. yeah, 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 yeah. Gen 3, so, yeah, you were the exception. This fell in Generation 3. Yeah. Your parents did, and your grandparents did something very well, and so they are to be honored for what they've done, mm -hmm. you know, and so, and now it's your, your challenge for Gen 4, 5, and 6, you know, but you understand it's a challenge. Right. You know, so what, so what are you doing to combat that? Because I, I kind of see the same struggles, too, as my kids not seeing the same struggles, where maybe I have one pair of Nikes that I mowed five yards for, They've got this closet full of shoes. You know, so yeah. how, how do you how do you combat that? To say, you know, you want to give them the blessing, you want them to walk in the blessing, but no, uh, yeah. to, to also see the sacrifice. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, because our mission statement is to love God infinitely, live extravagant generosity. You sure don't want your family saying well, you're generous to us. But what does generosity mean to our kids? Like I said, we've said we make sure they understand it's a tree and a fruit. You know, there's no tree coming, so don't think there's some million-dollar payday someday. There's not. It's not coming. When mom and grand, when grandma and grandpa die, there's no, oh, everybody's getting checks kind of a deal and stuff like that. So I think by talking about it, sitting down with them, having a mission statement, a vision statement. Now, I'm not saying all my kids. I have four kids, all right? We give, we give them an allowance. We give all of them $10, right? Two kids would have 20, and two kids would have nothing, right? Because they'd pay them to mow the lawn. You see what I'm saying? And so you got savers and spenders. So i got the same kids in my family. I mean, i got kids that what they wear and what they live is important. I've got a son who lives in Oklahoma City and his house rent for a month, for a month, is $75 a month. Mm -hmm. well, you, you get out. That's what he has. He lives in that. Okay? It ain't much. It's $75 a month. But he wants to live in the broken part of Oklahoma City so he can be among the broken people. So whatever reason he took that up, I have other sons and stuff like that. So we still battle that. We go through it. We talk about it. And then I married a wife. She has opinions. My brother has a wife. So it's a, it's a complex thing. But 
we try to come together. We have, a, uh, there's 31 of us now that live in Oklahoma City from my parents on down. So that's too many birthdays, that's one a week. And so the second Sunday of the month, we come together in a room about this size and we celebrate birthday. And you've got to stand up and tell us what happened, what, what's going on in your life. You know, tell us about you. And because I can't keep track of all my nieces and nephews. And, and then three of us affirm you and say, hey, here's what I see in him. You know, here's what, here's what I appreciate about him and all that kind of stuff. So it's just that, how do you build that relationship and be very intentional? Because even though we all kind of, not all of us, some of Gen 3 and 4 do not work there, uh, we're in different parts of the business, and so we're business minded. And uh, we have actually struggled with if you're not in the business, you feel like you're not part of the family, which would grieve my father. You see, because no, 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 family is always first. But if you don't work in the business, because we talk about business around the table, <laughs> and you married in, you see what I'm saying? And I ignored that for a while, to be honest with you, to my detriment. Uh, we had two family members that felt that way. Then all of a sudden, when Gen 3 started marrying, I heard the same thing again. And that's when I said, not doing this again. And so that's when we came together. So I felt, because I'm the oldest of Gen 3, I feel the responsibility of Gen 2 of trying to pull us together. Mom and Dad think everything's great and all that stuff, and it is in many, many ways. But there's still Gen 3 that sees the world different, thinks differently than Gen 1 does, okay? My dad still doesn't even have a phone, a mobile phone, right? Right? You can't email my dad. He got to email the secretary to get to him. So that's a different world than my kids live. They tell everything, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, so it's a struggle, but we talk about it and think it, you know, like my dad says, my, his parents had no choice. They could not buy him shoes. They couldn't pay for school. They couldn't pay for a car. He says it's harder to be able to do those things and not do them. And so sometimes we just say no to our kids. You know, I, we think it's, we can't give them too little, but we can't give them too much. So, but where that's at is not easy. And if you, if you went through my family, you'd see that I do it different than my brother, than my sister. So there's no magic to it. But being conscious of it, I think, is important. Praying through it, you and your spouse, talking about that uh, are important. I have one quick question. Can you talk a little bit, kind of along those same lines, of the balance of family and work? I come from a family of business owners, and every dinner can turn into a business meeting and take over your life. So how, did you, how do you guys manage that? Not well, to be honest, um, in the beginning. But... It helped as I went through this process, and it took Gen 3 marrying in, really, for me to understand my wife. So I, I didn't hear my wife as clearly as I should have. Now I'm, I, I remember hearing, oh, yeah, she said the same thing. I just, oh, no, no, it's not, you know, I just denied it, probably, and stuff like that. So, um, so we were very intentional in trying to do things together as a family. Oh, we're going to get ready to go skiing this Friday. So that's fr family and friends. They can bring any friends they want. Summertime, it's family only. The second Sunday on deal. So we don't talk about business of those kind of places. You see what I'm saying? Now it may come up because we may say, oh, he did well in Hobby Life this year or whatever, because we talk about him because that's where he works. But it becomes everything else. And so my parents are now getting to see their Gen 3s and their Gen 4s and all that. So it's kind of having those intentional times, which we didn't do before. And so they don't happen naturally was my experience. They did not happen naturally, so we have the exact emotions you're feeling. Um, and then I said, what can we do intentionally? Let's get a mission statement for the family, okay? This is what we believe about the family. We're going to equip your gifting, even if it's not. So they can read that, and, hey, Grandpa, I thought you guys were going to equip my gifting. You see what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a deal. You see what I'm saying? So that's an accountability back to us at Gen 1 and Gen 2 to say what we feel, but if you don't experience it, it would be true. It would be truth, but if you don't feel it, it's not truth for you, you know, which is hard for me, okay, because I'm a truth guy. I'm a that brain, it actually took me making into the spear. The reason I made into the spear was to break me to realize that artists are different. You're an artist, you're different, okay, than me. But I could celebrate you down. Where before, as a family member, I would crush you. You see what I'm saying? And your emotions and your feelings, and I would not accept those. But when I went through a movie and I had to go through a director, and I took him to Africa, we did a film called Miss HIV. 
there's actually a beauty pageant that if you have to be HIV positive to enter. We thought, now that's an interesting way to attack this program versus ABC, abstain, be faithful, and use condoms if you don't do that. You see what I'm saying? So there's great success here, and you're over here with a beauty pageant, you know. So anyway, we had to go interview these people who are HIV AIDS, you know, and their kids and all that stuff. And I mean, you talk about gut-wrenching. I mean, that is gut-wrenching, seeing that happen. But my brain goes and tries to figure out how in the world are we going to figure this out? Let's figure this problem out. But my director, an artist, he literally almost got, he got suicidal. He didn't commit suicide. He got suicidal on us because he felt what they felt. I don't do that. I don't feel what you feel. I'm going to figure it out. But Jesus felt what people felt. So I celebrate the artist and the gift they have of empathy because it's a tough gift to have. So thank you for being an artist. Mark, I want to personally thank you from uh, ORU graduates all over the world for your investment in ORU. I'm a proud 99 grad. Well, thank you for uh, going there. So from all of us, thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you. Fascinated by organizational leadership at, at large level, organizations like yours. And um, tell us a time outside of uh, the Supreme Court case that most difficult leadership challenge that you had that it worked out well um, or a time it did not work out well. Yeah, the biggest ones, of course, were the, you know, for my dad with the ownership. It's usually, it's people situations. Sometimes you hire people and they're not a fit, you know. And sometimes they have character and they have competence. And you, you want those. And so you, and then I learned there's a third seed that you really need. You got character, you got competence. And we fired people for both of those. We thought you were competent. Man, you didn't have a clue, you know. So that's competent. And usually competence, I can over, I'll compensate for that. If, you, if, you're, if you're a hard worker, we'll get over your competence. Now, character, I can't get over, you know. And so it's always been heart-wrenching when somebody you really believed in had a situation that betrayed you, you know. So those are tough. But you got to make the right decision. you got to move on. But then I learned there's the third one, that's chemistry. Sometimes people have character and they have competence, but there's still also a chemistry of putting a team that's together. So, yeah, it winds up being a big one that you didn't, I don't think about early on. But they, they can have those things. So how do you learn to interview people, <laughs> break those expectations, and all that stuff? And if they don't have that, how do you move on with grace? And all that stuff and so those are the I think building a team so we pray for one thing in Hobby Lobby God send us the right people you know Lord of the harvest send the harvesters that's what God that's really what God told us to pray for his people so it's all about people and so when you, when you get the wrong people man that's the pain the sleepless nights man I gotta go let somebody go because you know he's a great guy he's got all this kind of deal but you know you try to be fair with them you go through processes you do all those kind of things and so in time you learn that but that was probably the harder lesson learning younger is I'd hire people and uh, again, I started at 19, so I'm hiring people that are older than me. I didn't know what I'm doing, you know. And boy, jeez, experience is a great teacher. <laughs> Mistakes are is a great teacher. Expensive. So, so. Expensive, yeah, yeah. But long term, maybe it pays off, yes, right? Because then you you don't do that again. And so that's what experience and maturity is all about. And what's some push. daily routines that you do uh, personally to uh, that contributes to like your success? Yeah. Well, I told you one. Uh, I get up first thing and I read God's word, and so. Uh, and the second thing I do is I run. I usually run three miles a morning, so that gives me. So I, I give myself. I have usually a two-hour process. I get up, I read for 30 minutes, I run for 30 minutes, I have a little breakfast for 30 minutes, take a shower for 30 minutes, and I'm gone. So usually, whatever time I got to leave, I'm two hours earlier than that doing that. So I don't run every single day, but probably four or five days out of the week and stuff like that. But again, I hope I've challenged my mind, my spirit, and my body right there, you know, before I even get started and stuff like that. But I found the discipline of doing that in the morning. If I didn't do it in the morning, I wouldn't do it. I used to be a night person. 97, 98, I was a night person. 98, when I made that vow to the Lord that I get first thing for the rest of my life, I became a morning person, you know, because the earlier you get up, it's easier to go to bed at night, you know. So, uh, anyway, so those are ways for me to start my day and almost tithe my time, whatever, to say, God, I want, you know, you know what today holds. I have no idea. I have no idea the Supreme Court's coming. I have no idea 
what all those kind of things. But I believe that God does. And so by faith, I just want to say, I want to be ready. I want to prepare my vessel. Again, I want to be a good steward physically. I want to be a good steward, you know, mentally. I want to be a good steward spiritually. And so uh, that's how I start my day. Yeah. I'm probably one of the younger folks in the room. Um, and as I've kind of you know, started my professional career, um, I've, I've always strived to be uh, very transparent in everything I do, um, be very upstanding. But um, it seems that the more and more success you get, sometimes there's a lot of, uh, you can receive some negativity, whether it be from competitors or just people outside looking in. And uh, I've kind of battled with that a little bit. Um, wondering, you know, I've taken it personally. Um, whether it be you know something I have no control over or not, how do you combat that kind of stuff? Go a little deeper. Well, I mean, just uh, you know, <laughs> or anyone else, they you know, might say something uh, you know very very trivially, trivially that's uh, maybe maybe not be tr true or uh, just uh, I don't know if it's um, maybe jealousy or you know there can be hundreds of contributing factors to that yeah. kind of thing. But you know if, if you hear some negativity or something like towards you or like, oh, yeah. that you only have this because of that or, you know, um, how do you yeah. handle that? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to give an answer, mate. I'm trying There's to think. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about very personal. If you're talking about your business is suffering. Somebody's suffering here. Maybe your business, maybe you, maybe both. Uh, uh, I don't really think it's suffering. But well, suffering. yeah. I, I like to think that I, um, like I said, I'm very Troubled. transparent with everything I do and yeah. um, have no ill will towards anyone or at least not purposely. And, yeah. Uh, yet, uh, I've encountered people that have, again, just had you know, negative thoughts of maybe, or jealousy or something like that. How do you deal with that when you've dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't fun to hear some of the things that was said about our family and all that stuff, the sure. Supreme Court and all those kind of things. We only, I only get the point I had to tell my kids because they're just, they're, they're transparent. They tell everything. And now my parents tell nothing. My kids tell everything. We hope we're the balance in the middle, right, trying to get this thing figured out, which I'm sure we're not balanced. But um, just to get off social media because it got to the point that it was eating them up. Whether it's, it's not suffering, you're right. It's, but they were troubled in their spirit. Hey, how come they're saying this about my grandpa? How come they're saying that? They don't, you know, they want to defend. You see what I'm saying? But, you know, we know you can. If you Google my name, you'll find all kinds of stuff about me that I don't even know about me. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so, uh, but that's, that's the world we live in. So I just have to go back and know when I'm alone, integrity. If I know that I've lived with integrity and I've done what I can, all that stuff, I can't influence people all the time. Yes, if I get a chance, I can speak one-on-one, -on -one, but a lot of times I just, yeah, it's more fuel to the fire, you know, stuff like that. So sometimes it's living your faith out. How do we do that? It's not always easy. Uh, but I think I have to know that I live with integrity because sometimes I'm challenged and somebody's right. You know, maybe I was arrogant in that situation. Maybe something was that. So I think it's good to listen to that. You know, stuff, it depends on the maturity level. Like I said, my kids, I think, were the level that we just felt, man, just get off social media for a while. Please don't post. Because if they'd post, they'd get attacked. They didn't understand why they get attacked, you know, you know, because they figured out who they were and stuff like that. So, uh, so anyway, so there's good to be transparent. But I think there's also times we have to use wisdom to figure out, you know, what's happening, what's the situation and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I don't know if it helped you much there. but. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> what are some key books that you read um, that's um, been very challenging to you business-wise and just in general? Yeah, um, and there's several of them. Oh, I think because when I teach OU class, I, they ask me that question. I bring five or six of them. Uh, let me, uh, one of them is uh, Me, Myself, and Bob on for Business. Me, Myself, and Bob is written by Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer uh, was the creator of VeggieTales. And uh, he has an incredible story. He got down to his last $10 creating Veggie Tales. Of course, if you've heard the story, he was dealing candy bars. 
And his wife said, don't do candy bars. Mother will hate you. Use vegetables. Okay? So that's why they're not candy bars. They're vegetables. Okay? But he's crafting it, doing all that stuff. And he's walking out with the last $10 to go buy dog food. You know, and that's, It's not a fun conversation with your wife. You got your last $10 and you're going out to buy dog food. You, know, you don't know where tomorrow's going to get your next dollar. And that night, somebody slipped $500 underneath his door to his day. Now, that didn't make him. $500 didn't make the difference. But it gave him enough confidence that God was in him, and I'm going to keep going. It was just that last little plug. And so he gets credit to that. Well, he went to the top, right? So he went from poverty, or whatever you want to call that, nothing, nothing, to being amazingly impactful in culture. My kids have been impacted. My grandkids have been impacted. And my great-grandkids probably will be. And then he lost it all. So it's quite a story to hear. You hear these stories, but you don't hear this, this story too often. And what he learned... This new company is called Jellyfish, you know, because the jellyfish goes wherever the current takes it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we have some great principles in there that I really like. Another one I read since I've been at ORU, uh, in, in the Cardone name is on a couple of buildings over there. It's Michael Cardone wrote a book called Business with Soul. And Oral taught, and uh, I wish my dad had been around Oral because he wouldn't have felt second class. Oral taught to go into every person's world. He was really big on that. So big that when we had a law school to ORU, it used to say this, and I had never heard this statement, lawyers are healers too. <laughs> All right? I don't hear a lawyer and healer in the same sentence. But man, I'm telling you, we had a lawyer who was a healer. <laughs> that guy arguing on a case in front of nine judges, you know what? He doesn't do that right. We could lose. The you see right what I'm lawyer. saying? Huh? The right lawyer. The right, yeah, the right lawyer. That's right. That's right. But you can be a healer. We all can be healers. That's what Oral believed. He believed you can be a healer. And we can be a healer too. We have employees that we can touch, that we can reach. So that's what Michael Cardone did. I went to Michael Cardone. He does auto manufacturing. He takes car parts and remanufactures them, okay? So you go into one end of his warehouse. It's a huge warehouse, downtown Philadelphia, and it's the blackest black you can imagine because your car parts are black, right, when you get done with them, and, they're not, and you're going to get them restored. And they're in metal cages, and they're four high. So take a pallet, 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 and all this. I mean, so you're 16 foot high. It's almost like the lights are being sucked up because of all the blackness of this room, okay? Because these are all, and they're going to remanufacture those, and on the other end, they're going to be shiny new. But he made a statement that I, I couldn't handle. He says, Mark, they're better than new. I said, no, 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 Mike, my car is never better than new than the first time I drive it off. <coughs> goes down, life goes downhill. Nothing ever gets better than new. He said, no, no, listen to me, Mark. Ford, Chevy, they're making new cars now. I'm still redoing the 2005s, the 1995s, and I know exactly why that muffler doesn't work. And so I can take and put metal, you know, I mean steel where they put aluminum, you know, whatever. So it is better than new. And I realized, wow, it is better than new. And I realized that's what his whole shop was about, being better than new. And so in his book, he tells a story. If you remember, well, of course you remember. 9-11 wasn't far from Philadelphia when we had one of these planes crash, right? Absentee at work went down. Of course it did. Because when you're scared, 9-11, 9-12, if you lived near D.C., Philadelphia, and all that stuff, you went where you were the safest. So where were you safest? home, moms, wherever. You went there. They broke attendance records at Cardone Industries because that's where they felt the safest. Wow. 17 chaplains speaking 17 languages. They went to work that day because that's where they felt the safest. Said, now that's a business I'd love to have. Hmm. You know, that's admirable. You know, that people want to be where you're at versus leaving and stuff like that. So he tells stories about how he built his business and all that stuff. So those are a couple of business books. Yeah, they definitely felt left out. We were trying to come back and do that. So not only do we have the monthly meetings, we have a once a year family celebration. It's usually the first Saturday of January. We just had it January the 2nd. Um, 
So we come together and we celebrate family. I have different people in charge. I have Gen 3 do a crowd breaker because, you know, so everybody's involved. So my dad doesn't run the meeting, okay, because, again, he could be that. So it's almost seen as this is not a business thing because Grandpa did call it together. I called it together because, again, I'm the Gen 2 representative and stuff like that. So we celebrate. We do crowd breakers. Um, I told them, what does the mission story, what does love, God, intimately, live, extract of generosity mean? That was their challenge this year. What does that mean to you personally? I want to hear exactly what you mean. When you hear that statement, what does it mean to you? So they articulated it. Last year, they took a core value and stuff like that. So it's just a way to get together and hear each other and speak into it. I'm not saying they're all going to accept it or they do. Right now, they do. Right now, we have incredible harmony, you know, as far as the, the vision and mission for what our family's all about and stuff. Um, I give them all that coin one year. One year, I took a Bible and I stripped the cover off and I put a world on it. So it looks like a globe, and I put it over the Bible, and I gave them all one, and we all signed each other's. You know, just again, I try to do things that are symbolic, the visuals and stuff like that, so at least I want them to have to go upriver. This is, the river's going this way. We're, we're going down with the momentum's this way. If you don't want to do that, and people are free will, and I'm not saying that everybody will always do it, but you're almost going to have to swim upriver, you know, and so, and the river will always take you down. We're always going to love you. You're always going to come back home and, and all that kind of stuff, so... Um, so we've had some, we've, we've, we've tripped in our family. So again, if you saw my family, you'd say, whoa. So I don't want to plan this out as a perfect family, but I hope that we're trying to do the best we can to be a place of love, a place they can come, and be very intentional about who we are and why we do what we do. So I'm working on three documents right now. I'm bringing, I'm bringing an author in tomorrow. He comes in tomorrow. Uh, I saw a deal called The Theology of Water. So if you have a theology of water, why can't you have a theology of business? This guy's calling it the theology of creating wealth, managing wealth, and uh, giving wealth. Okay, philanthropy, investing, and your business. Because I mean, if you get successful, those are three things you can do. You know, and so uh, we're going to write a 1,500 words. So it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a book. It's going to be real small, real short. So he starts by interviewing my dad tomorrow. This writer who's been thinking about business and work and to helping pastors understand how to make you guys feel comfortable at church. So that's what he's been doing for a long time. So I've not met him yet, so we'll see if the person, if the chemistry, <laughs> I don't know chemistry yet. So tomorrow I'll find out if the chemistry's there, but I'd like to have those three documents to be able to give to the kids, you know, someday. And so we've even talked about the vision, mission, values. My Gen 3 now is old enough, they did not create and craft the vision, mission, values. I'd love for them to be able to come back and maybe add to or subtract from that collectively, because when you do, when you're a part of something, you have more buy-in than if it's handed to you. So Gen 3, it's been handed to them, so that's why I try to get them to comment on it every, every year. But my next step is to try to get them to open it back up and say, because we have a verse with everything. Is there any verses you would do different? Is there anything we didn't put in here that you'd like to, that you think should be in here? Is there anything in here that doesn't make sense to you? And let them feel like they changed the document, and then they'd feel have some ownership to it. So, well, we're at 1:30, so I think we should probably wrap it up here. I, I well, thank you for your questions and for your time today. It was very, very fun for me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, thanks, no. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen 
find and pursue their purpose.